Well, good morning again. For those of y'all who don't know me, my name is Taylor Leachman. I'm the pastor of adult ministry here at Christ the King, and it's my joy to preach this morning to continue in our series on the Gospel of Mark. So if you would, you can turn with me or read along with your screen or turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. This is God's Word. Then he, being Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together now. Our God and Father, as we come to you this morning, scattered throughout Houston and beyond, we pray that you would bind us together in your spirit. As we consider your word, we pray that you would, as we have even read about here, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, give us hands and feet to follow you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, by the Spirit. Amen. Martin Luther famously said that the ears are the only organs of the Christian. Given our current situation where we're paying more attention to our bodies perhaps than normal, we're paying attention to, uh, to our ailments and what is going on, I find that statement to be incredibly provocative. Right? It's not the lungs which give us breath. It's not the heart which pumps new life into us with each new beat. Right? It's not even the brain but it's the ears. What is it about the ears that are so special, right, as to be mentioned as the organ of the Christian? Luther argued that it is through the ears that a Christian is attuned to the spirit of God's work in the world. The Christian hears God speak. The Christian hears creation in its groanings and in its singing of praise to God. The Christian hears our fellow man, our fellow mankind in their needs, in their longings, and in their hope. And I confess right now that my ears feel very deaf. I, I can't even count the number of times in the last week or the last couple of months where my children have had to say, Daddy, 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 before I finally pay attention to them. Right? I, I feel disconnected from others. I feel more attuned to the news or maybe even to my phone than I should. I'm easily tuned out from what God is doing in the world. And I would imagine that I'm not the only one. I would imagine it's true of you as well. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at the passage of Jesus' healing of a deaf man, as we read Through this passage, Mark and our Lord is giving us a foretaste of his promised recreation. He's showing us his plan of the future. And we're going to look at this passage. We're going to see the scope of God's saving grace. We're going to look at it in three particular ways. First, we're going to see who it is that receives new ears. 
So we're going to focus on the who of the passage. Second, we're going to see the extent of Jesus' saving grace or the what of the passage. And then finally, we're going to see that God, by his grace, is making all things new, which is the purpose or the why of this passage. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear as we consider God's word together. Well, let's first look at that first point, the who, who it is that receives new ears. Well, Mark gives us, at the very beginning of the passage, he gives us Jesus' travel itinerary. And if you were to look at a map while you looked at those details, you would see that his route is incredibly roundabout. It is not efficient. Right? He's going from Tyre to Sidon and all the way over to the Decapolis. Right? But, but what Mark is demonstrating and what Jesus is doing here is very purposeful. Although he's been primarily ministering in Galilee and in Jerusalem or the area of Judea up to this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus is venturing out now. He's ministering in, in Gentile lands. And as he's doing so, he's demonstrating that he is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise to be a blessing to the very ends of the earth. And if you remember early in the book of Genesis, God makes a promise with Abraham that through him and his family, this divine blessing would come to the ends of the earth. Right? That through Abraham and his descendants, the families and the, and, and the lives of those on the earth would be blessed. This is not because Abraham has earned some form of divine blessing, right, or, or somehow deserved it, but because God loved them in particular. And as, as Abraham's family grow, so that blessing was supposed to grow throughout the world. But as is often the case, right, when we are blessed, we tend to hoard that blessing, or perhaps even to worship the blessing rather than the blesser. And that's pretty much a good summary of the Old Testament of what happens up until that point. But it is now that Jesus comes into the picture that we see he is the blessed one. As God incarnate, as we talked about in our affirmation of faith this morning, he is bringing that blessing to the nations. He's doing that here in this passage. He's moving outside of the bounds of Judea and is blessing those outside of it. He's pursuing the other, the foreigner, the outcast, and he's bringing with him blessing. Because of Jesus' work and because of what he's doing, the people of God are now those all over the earth, not just in Judea, not just in Texas, right? not just in America, not just in the West. That is all over the earth, people are, yes, a rebellious and sinful people. But also, no one has earned God's divine favor, yet still all over the, all over the earth, God is at work, changing hearts, bodies, and giving new ears to many no matter where you come from. Is that hard to believe? Is it hard to believe that there are particular people whom God can still give ears to hear? We as American Christians definitely need to be cognizant of the fact that God is at work in so many other countries and so many other lives. Perhaps some that you think are too far gone. Maybe too far gone because of religious beliefs or because of political chaos that's occurring there. We can often find it too hard to believe that God is at work. But he is. 
And as we apply this passage, I don't want to just look out there. I want to come closer to home, so to speak. Because I often find that the people that I struggle to believe that God can heal or change are those that I have, I've had some personal interaction with. Right? That I've, I've experienced or seen others' hardness of heart. I've been on the receiving or the giving end of bitter words and hateful actions. And I've fallen into the trap of believing that maybe some people are, are simply incapable of change. Do you buy into that falsely? In your life, do you believe that to be a child or a spouse? Is that a parent right, that, that is never, was never really around or who you have been estranged from? Is it a former coworker or a former friend? Is it a church leader? Do you struggle to believe that God is capable of healing some people? Let me tell you, as Mark tells us, he is capable of giving anyone new ears to hear. And as we see who this man is that receives new ears and a new tongue, we need to see the fullness of God's grace. That God's grace can move anywhere and in anyone. One other question I have for you this morning is, do you believe that you, yourself, are incapable of change? Right, as, as we've been in this quarantine life for almost two months now, I can imagine that some of the bad habits that we began with are now crystallizing and formalizing into, uh, into, into, into problematic sinful behaviors. Or maybe life during this time has revealed to you that the way you were living up until this point is not the way it was supposed to be. And now you long for change. Do you believe that change can happen to you and for you? And for those of you that struggle with that thought either constantly or even just for small instances, Jesus is not about helping those who help themselves, as you may have heard. He's about pursuing the lost. That is me. That is you. And he will travel in roundabout ways that do not make sense of us. He will travel outside of the church. He will travel outside of the Christian bubble to pursue you in order to meet you where you are. This last week we were running through the children's catechism with our children as we often do. And we were doing it particularly with our youngest daughter, Mary Margaret, who's three. I was asking her some of the questions, you know, who made you? The answer being God. Right, then what else did God make? The answer is everything. And then I asked the third question, right, why did God make you and everything? And uh, it may have been even in my questioning, she got a little confused and combined a few of the answers into, uh, into an answer that was both a mistake and beautiful. She said, because he made me and he enjoys me. I love that. How often do we ever think God actually enjoys me? Right? He enjoys his creatures. Yes, that doesn't necessarily mean that he wants you to stay the way that you are or accept every part of who you are, but it does mean that he enjoys you. He loves you no matter who you are. Trust that you are never too far away from him to receive his grace. Right, no matter what you believe, no matter what you have done, merely turn to him. 
even, even if it's the smallest of ways, turn to him with a simple prayer of, Lord, I need you. Jesus, help me. God, have mercy. He's never too far away to hear. And he has promised that he will heal. And that's what we're going to look at second. The extent of Jesus' healing, right, or the what of the passage. Mark tells us that Jesus comes up to a man who is deaf and had a speech impediment. And that's all we know about his condition, but it would be foolish that that's all that we need, uh, that that's all we can assume, right? That there's not more, not more that we can assume about what's going on with his condition. Right? Yes, he is deaf. Right? And it's challenging for him to speak, therefore challenging for him to be understood. Right? This man is profoundly cut off from life in that time. He cannot participate fully in relational connection with others. He's likely very limited in the jobs that he can perform. Right? He has some family and friends. They're the ones that bring him to Jesus here. But he has likely felt looked over or looked through for most of his life. He's likely felt unloved or unlovable for much of his life. He's likely felt purposeless and restless in his heart. But he comes here to Jesus. And Jesus, who has been around crowds for so much of Mark's gospel up to this point, right? he takes this man away. And they're, they're by themselves. And in that moment, Jesus truly sees him. You can almost imagine being in the shoes of, of this deaf and mute man. Right? Glad to have someone finally see him for who he is, but also a little frightened by the vulnerability of it all. Right? Jesus is able to privately engage him. And the Bible doesn't tell us how long that they are together, how long they're away from the crowds. But Jesus pulls him away here. And this isn't merely meant to be a demonstration of how we are to get ears to hear, right? This isn't about how we need to get away from the crowds and the noise in order to, to understand and to hear God's voice. That's not what Jesus is trying to show us here. It's not about being quiet enough or being away from the busyness enough to hear him. Instead, what Jesus is doing is pointing out the extent to which he wants the man to know and experience this ever-present healer, this Messiah who's had crowds following him for, throughout uh, the, the gospel of Mark on his travels, that this Messiah cares so much about him for who he is that he wants no other distractions around as he engages this man here in love. As if that isn't loving enough, the healing itself is incredibly intimate. Right, Jesus puts fingers into the ears of the deaf man. He then spits on his, on his fingers and touches his tongue. And I would imagine, especially today, right, as coming within six feet of another human being represents right, a lack of love or a lack of respect and care for some other person, that this physical act that's going on here shocks us. And in some ways it absolutely should. Right? It should shock us in its intimacy, in some sense, this is a normal expression of what would have happened for a prophet or a healer in that time, whether in a Jewish or a Gentile context. But notice, nonetheless, that this is incredibly intimate. And this, this touch alone isn't how Jesus heals. As they're together and as Jesus is healing him, 
Mark says that Jesus sighs. Right? He is groaning, as another translation of that word would say. So in that moment, we see that Jesus is praying. He's praying to the Father. Right? He sees this deaf, mute man. He hears this deaf, mute man. And he is praying by the Spirit and in prayer with the Father. Jesus is taking us back to the creation account. Right, where Trinitarianly, they are creating and now recreating. Jesus is not creating something out of nothing as happened at that earlier point in creation. No, Jesus is restoring this man to, the, to completion. The health and fullness of, for which he was intended. Jesus is taking something that was broken and he's recreating it. He is the great physician and through and by him, this man is restored and healed. He's restored in his hearing. He's restored in his, see, in his speaking. He's restored in his community. Right? As, he, as he's likely given a new purpose and joins back with them as he goes back into his town with a new ability to work even. And if you're like me, when you read this passage, we can look at these types of episodes and think, right, it's, it's great that this man heals his ears, right, and he can talk again. We can almost view the human body and these types of healings as if they're a broken computer that needs fixing, right? It needs a new software update or a new spare part, right? So just some new ears and now a working tongue, and you can go on your way and you're, you're good as new. But that's not how this healing goes for this man. That's not how healing goes for any of us. All sickness and all good healing is multifaceted. As many of you know, I come from a family of cardiologists. Right? And, and there are all sorts of, of elements of heart trouble that merely fixing the plumbing or dealing with the electricity of the heart does not simply take care of. And there's a few different examples. Right? For example, a heart attack patient almost always frequently becomes depressed after a heart attack. So you not only as a physician have to treat the heart, but you also have to tr treat the depression and the other underlying habits that got there. Otherwise, the patient is going to be back in the hospital quickly again. There's also a thing called broken heart syndrome. You may have heard of it, right? Where, where because of life events that are so traumatic and emotionally challenging, a person can have symptoms that mimic a heart attack, that from the mind and the heart itself, that it manifests physically within the body. We are complex creatures with complex problems who need complex, or should I say complete, solutions. And our God provides just that. He gives us sinners that we are ears to hear him. He gives us a new spirit. He slowly and carefully lifts our heads from our struggles, our loneliness, our sin, and even our disease. And he turns us to him. When we need to be touched, he touches us. When we need to be seen, he sees us. When we need to be prayed for, he prays for us. After these past few months, how might you need healing? Right? Is it physical healing? Are you suffering from illness or chronic uh, disease and you've been unable to go see a doctor because of, of, of some of the restrictions on essential care? 
Is it mental or spiritual healing? Are you struggling with loneliness? I would imagine that on a day like today, it's a challenge for you. Are you sad because on Mother's Day, you are disconnected from your family as a mother? Or you're disconnected from your mother as a family? Or maybe today is a reminder and a struggle for you because you've been reminded that you have had so many struggles to become a mother or to grow your family. Or perhaps it's been that as mothers and even fathers during these last few months, having the stress of having to homeschool your children all of a sudden without any training, that you have just felt like life is too much as you're trying to work a job at the same time. I would imagine that no matter what you are struggling with, it has affected your heart, your mind, and your body. It has affected your whole being. We are complex beings, and our bodies and our souls and our minds are all connected. The point of this passage, this healing, is not that following Jesus will allow you to to overcome all of your hardships in life. It isn't even about how Jesus is so powerful and so miraculous that he deserves your faith, although he is that. But rather it points to the fact that God cares deeply about you in your spiritual state, but also in your physical and your mental state as well. And while this passage in no way promises that, that all of your struggles will go away, it does promise that one day in the future Jesus will treat the totality of your struggles. He will deal with the totality of your symptoms. You might be thinking, why? Why is there any delay in action? Why is it not dealt with now and immediately? The truth is that the Bible isn't, doesn't really give us a clear answer to that question. God doesn't tell us why we must continue to struggle, but he does tell us that he uses all struggling for good. He uses it for his purposes to draw us closer to him in relationship as he is the source of all life and all goodness. The Bible also tells us that in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, we are not alone. God is with us and he groans over it. The healing of this deaf mute man is a mere foretaste of what is to come. Right? While, while he was healed in this moment, This man at some point later in his life deteriorated again physically. This man at some point in his life died, right? And so this miracle of this healing in this moment didn't prevent all future suffering from occurring. It didn't even prevent his death. No, this man's ultimate healing and our ultimate healing will come later. But praise Jesus for moments like this. When the future reality breaks into the here and the now, praise Jesus for all foretastes of what is to come and to come fully. And that leads to our last point, which will be fast, I promise, which is the purpose or the why of the passage, that God is making all things new. After Jesus heals the man and the crowds go away, they begin to tell others about what has taken place even though Jesus has charged them not to do so. In that moment, they respond in astonishment. They say, he has done all things well. This language that's used here is directly connected to the story of Genesis 1 and 2, 
Right? In creation, if we remember, as God creates everything, after he does so, he says, it is good. Right? And now through Jesus, yes, that good creation which is broken is being recreated. And it is being recreated well. That's what is being said here. Right? That Jesus is recreating by his healing. He's come and he is coming again to make all things new. All things that have gone wrong in the fall are going to be made right again. And it is good. Jesus has come and now the world is beginning to hear his voice. Right? Jesus has come and the earth is able to sing his praises with new tongues. He has come and now we can be reconciled to those that we have hurt or who have hurt us. Now we can find freedom from our sin or from even some of our addictions. We can find peace from our anxieties or depressions or stresses. We can confess, repent, and be forgiven. And his kingdom comes in its fullness. All things will be made well, made made good in their fullness. Let me apply this very briefly to our current situation. That means that when Jesus comes again, the coronavirus will be no more. Pandemics will be no more. Quarantines and disconnection will be no more. Health will be restored. Relationships will be reconciled. And we will be made new in our totality, along with all of creation. So my question is, who has ears to hear? It's those who have placed their faith in Jesus. He is giving us new ears. Right? Ears to hear our own sins and struggles. Ears to hear of his great mercy and his great love. Ears to hear of his coming recreation. And ears to hear the hallelujahs of creation. The hallelujahs that join together in recognition that a new world is coming. And it is coming through Jesus. Amen. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that through Jesus Christ you are making all things new. Lord, that you have not left us in ourselves, that you are choosing to follow us in roundabout ways to come and to be near to us, that you see us, even the deepest parts of our heart. Father, and you beckon us to turn toward you. I pray, Lord, that even though we are far apart from one another, that we would do so now, to pray even the smallest of prayers. Father, we need you. Lord, have mercy. And Father, come again quickly. May Jesus come again, that all things will be made new. We pray this in his name. Amen.